Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VTW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, It's been a few weeks for us. We've had some stuff going on personally, professionally, all the challenges out there in the world, but we're back. Uh, As always, I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and Mr. Derek, who continues to be the leader of all things podcast, is here. (laughs) Say hello, buddy. (laughs) Hey, Greg. It is good to be back for another episode with you. How you been? It's it's been an interesting few weeks. I know our listeners out there probably have been paying attention to the news, but the news can be sometimes depressing. There's some challenging things going on in the world. But we're the podcast that tries to talk all things Trek, even though we do talk about how Trek includes things from reality. But before we talk about some of the recent Picard episodes, I believe you mentioned you have some news you want to discuss. Yes. So just a couple of minutes here just to kind of throw out some uh, housekeeping stuff. And then, yes, a news piece relating to short treks as well. So just some housekeeping uh, with everything that's been going on planet comic-con, which uh, is a convention here in Kansas city that we had a panel slated for uh, has been postponed. Um, and we don't know the date yet. It's supposed to be announced sometime this week, this coming week when it'll be rescheduled for, we imagine sometime in the fall. So that panel will not be taking place this coming weekend as originally planned for obvious reasons. So uh, keep your eye on our social media feeds for that. So we can get everyone coming in full force to the next version of this, whenever that happens to be. 
um, we hope that we can we can make it to the reschedule of it. As far as that goes, you can of course find us at Redshirts Pod on Twitter, um, at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook. But we also have a Facebook group now. It's relatively new, just a few weeks old. Facebook.com/groups/redshirts and runabouts. You can come and talk to us and other Trekkies doing all of the shows, whatever you want to talk about, just come talk Trek with us. We do polls, lots of fun things. Uh, podcast kind of takes a back seat in that group. So it's just a fun place to talk Trek. And uh, that's pretty much it as far as housekeeping goes and what's going on there. Let's get to the news. So Short Treks. Short Treks has been the CBS All Access short narrative series that shows uh, small glimpses into the Star Trek universe in other ways. We've seen um, a Harry Mudd episode. There's been some episodes that focus on Pike or Number One and Spock. We've had a couple animated features, and um, these have been hard to get a hold of. If you are not in one of the very few countries where CBS All Access is available, and it hasn't really been completely made available in disc format either for people who like to do that route. So they have just announced, StarTrek.com uh, posted this earlier today, which is Sunday, March 15th, that the short treks will be released in Blu-ray and DVD format this June. And it will include all nine currently released episodes, which include Runaway, Calypso, The Brightest Star, The Escape Artist, Q&A, The Trouble with Edward, Ask Not, Ephraim and Dot, and The Girl Who Made the Stars. Um, in addition to that, it will include just a slew of new content uh, that really covers a lot of neat stuff. There's stuff about um, each uh, each episode seems to have a dive in for for kind of behind the scenes content where you'll be able to see stuff from executive producers like Alex Kurtzman um, and Michael Chabon is is involved in some of these as well, and you'll be able to kind of see behind the scenes content which we all love. Uh, there's no specific date in June yet. Um, no, I'm sorry, June 2nd. June 2nd, but I don't have a price point. That's what it is. So uh, these will be made available, though, uh, in both DVD and Blu-ray formats, and so you'll be able to check that out, which is cool. I know I will be getting it, and I just want to make sure everybody knew about it. That's some great news, and especially with... Because you and I have talked about this. One of the advantages of short treks is it seems like they can kind of produce them pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And it, it gave me and a couple ideas that you and I have been talking about with Picard especially. Is I actually think the Picard show would be perfect for some more short trek material. Oh, yeah. Even to do things like a status of the universe. This is what the Klingons are doing. Like you were, like you were talking about weeks ago, just using the archive thing. And mm -hmm. here's what's going on in Sector 21 5x5 or something. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there, especially with all of these new characters that they've brought in. We could see, you know, more uh, about like Girardi and Maddox together, or we could see Rafi, or you know, just there's just so much that's that's there. Uh, like Rios, I mean, Rios was a Starfleet officer too, and we'll talk about that later in our episode. But you know, maybe even throw back to him in Starfleet on his ship, and you know, certain small things like that, or when he got. Uh, his new his new ship uh, would be kind of cool to see too. So, I would expect us to see some Picard stuff at some point. You know, the the Children of Mars one I guess could be counted as a Picard short trek, um, but uh, that one does not seem to be on the list. Actually, 
Hmm. Maybe they're still just catching up or something. Might be, yeah. Um, so Children of Mars, of course, you know that one is more of a Picard-specific one. So maybe that'll be included on the Picard Blu-ray. I don't know. We'll have to see. Well, that's a good segue for us to jump right in. This is going to be a unique episode for everybody out there. Is uh, for those of you listening, we're going to be discussing basically three, the most three recent episodes for Picard. Uh, typically, we only do one episode on a on a whenever we record. But obviously, we had a few weeks off. And given that the Picard show is kind of filmed like a movie almost, discussing multiple episodes at once isn't as challenging as, say, you know, Derek and Greg, you have 30 minutes to talk about Best of Both Worlds and Yesterday's Enterprise. That'd be like, wait a second, that's just not possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, unless, unless you have to cut everything out. So <laughs> we're going to be talking about um, episodes six, seven, and eight of Star Trek Picard. Yes. And, I, you know, this actually worked out pretty nicely because I, I think you're right. We can kind of talk about it more like a film rather than those discrete little pieces because the stories are starting to really come together here. You know, we've got um, a lot of characters with a lot of threads, a lot that hasn't really been explained. And it's finally kind of forming the center narrative of what's going on. And it really starts in episode six, which is the impossible box. And uh, I guess spoiler warnings for everything Star Trek Picard related in the first eight episodes of Star Trek Picard. Uh, but this is the episode where Soji discovers that she is not who she thought she was. Um, she learns that she there's a lot of hidden information about her past. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't really know her past and her history and learns that maybe she's only three years old, give or take. Um, so, Greg, I kind of want to talk, you know, there's a lot to talk about in this first episode here, but one thing I'd like to focus on is her kind of realization of, of her life kind of being a lie. How do you think they handled that here in the Impossible Box? Well, overall, I think they handled it well, and I think her response felt legitimate. You know, I have no idea how I would respond if, you know, me being 37, if instead of 37 years old, if I was only 37 months old and just all my memories from before a certain time were essentially fake mm -hmm. or downloaded into me or uploaded into me, excuse me, and realizing that my life was kind of a lie. And that's like an, that's almost like a fear I think every human has is, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording is is we all want to believe that we're like decent and that our life has served a purpose. Imagine in the span of 30 seconds, realizing that your life has essentially served no purpose for everything that you can remember, except for 37 months, that would be traumatic beyond all kinds of trauma that I can think of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be pretty mind shattering, right? And it's kind of shocking that that doesn't quote activate her when she's coming to that realization, it doesn't really happen until she's about to die. Um, and you know, she's scanning all of these photos and she's scanning, you know, her, her lunchbox and all these different things and, um, trying to figure out what, what, what's going on. And it's all the same age. And that's gotta be pretty kind of just mentally taxing. There's no, like, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to have to wrap your head around the idea that nothing prior to three years ago is real. Well, that, and it just immediately jumps right into, and again, like Derek said, spoilers, you can't avoid it with the Picard show, because 
the least the last few episodes haven't been a lot of fluff. They've been a lot of action with story stuff with the story and such. Is it immediately jumps right into her relationship with Narek, Narek, excuse me, and how he's been using her, and he's actually essentially been abusing her. I mean, it's at this point, I'm I'm fairly confident in saying that he has been essentially raping her, even if she was a willing physical participant. He was using her to get exactly what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And so now she's got to deal with that trauma of her life has been a lie. Somebody, she even said she thought she was getting close to him and that he understood her was a lie. And then she's got this whole thing in the back of her mind of, well, hell, he was questioning me on this planet. And I told him where this planet is and or what it was. And I don't know what it is. But now she's got to deal with that. But I'm going to talk about that planet later because I got a, I got a slew of questions on that topic. Okay, all right. So we'll we'll get to that then. Um, so there there's of course the Picard arc in this episode, which is Picard getting back onto a Borg cube for the first time since he was assimilated. And and he handled it pretty well. He did. And there's there's particularly one shot that I really want to call out that honestly might be one of the coolest shots star trek has ever put together which is when he's watching he's he's got his kind of the you know the the see-through kind of holographic computer system is up and he's looking through footage and there's the shot of him as locutus on the enterprise screen um and you can they they do the shot looking through that to him and you can see his real self kind of overlaid behind it and the two images merging together and he kind of touches his face where the implants are. And that moment is just incredibly well executed and chilling. And again, it's Patrick Stewart and his, his amazing acting ability. Cause he doesn't actually see anything, right? There's really nothing there in the real world. Um, but that shot of seeing that overlay, the idea that this is something that continues to haunt him that hasn't really left. And we've talked about that a bit with seven about how you never really get past that. Um, and this is an example of it. This is a part of who he is and he hates that and it's still haunting. So when he goes on board the board cube, the artifact, he ends up becoming completely disoriented. He almost falls off, I guess the catwalk, so to speak, which really is just a design flaw in the board cube more than anything. Um, but he almost falls to his death and the XBs, you know, save him and, and protect him from that. Um, but I just love that shot in particular at the computer. No, I agree with that. And Picard, and Picard Patrick Stewart does amazing, amazing acting as always. And yeah, like you said, the little design flaw, it's just like the, the Death Star gunners when they're firing the planet, the super laser, you're like, don't you guys, you guys get like a handrail. I mean, hell, even family guy turned that into a joke <laughs> at one point Right. on when do we get a rail? I said, we'd be, and, leaning you know, it's <laughs> yeah. Just standing all day. Um, but yeah, it's Picard's first time on, on the ship and I'll admit I are the first time on a board cube in a long time. I'm probably one of the few people in the world. The, the reunion between Picard and Hugh is while it was an excellent reunion and it was well, it was well shot when I'm rewatching, you know, I Borg, I never really got a sense of attachment really between Picard and Hugh to the point where Hugh would be like that emotional, but maybe Hugh did. Well, because I, um, I like if it was Jordy, I would get it. Yes, I think with Jordy, it definitely would have worked really well. I think you also have to remember the two-part episode Descent, where Hugh has to help Picard save Data. 
um, and there's a little bit more of their character development together in that. But I think it also comes back to Hugh initially uh, resents Picard in Descent for send, feeling like he sent Hugh back to disrupt the Collective, and that really hurt them and allowed them to be taken over by lore. And I think that at this point in Hugh's life, he's come to the realization that that's not that's not necessarily fair. That Picard gave them an opportunity to become individuals again, and Picard set that in motion and didn't have to. And um, that that hug, that moment, this is it's pretty cool. That so Jonathan Del Arco, who plays Hugh, noted on on social media that that was not scripted. The hug, that's something that he asked to do, and Patrick Stewart thought it was a good idea as well, and. Del Arco really channeled for him his his thought process was if I saw my dad again and his dad died uh, oh forgive me I think it was like 17 years ago or something along those lines but if I saw my dad again what would I do what would my reaction be how would I feel and he used that as his you know kind of inspiration for that reunion and I think it just says that these two characters have grown on on different paths but they're not the same people they were when we last saw them in Descent. And I guess that's maybe a failing more on me than anything is I just never saw that much of a bond between them, even in Iborg or Descent. It doesn't mean it wasn't there, but maybe I'm also a little, a little wishing like, man, this would have been a great episode of LeVar, LeVar Burton could have starred just our guest starred just for like 15 minutes. Right. Yeah. And and yeah, but I know they can't do that because, like you and I were talking about, uh, you know, months ago, if they include the Next Generation cast too much, then this isn't the Picard show. It's Next Generation Part Two, mm-hmm. and they des- they do need to avoid that because the show needs to be its own thing, right? And I'm I'm and with you. Deep Space Nine, yeah, I mean, Deep Space Nine had that challenge when they used Next Generation to kind of introduce DS Nine with Picard doing the torch handoff, and that was it. But if they would have had the Enterprise show up in like every third episode, then you're like, well. Okay, like that's cool, but Deep Space Nine needs to be its own thing, just like realistically, realistically, excuse me, Picard needs to be its own show. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you're right. I think there's a little sense of false um, nostalgia put in here, uh, kind of similar to like the be- the best thing that comes to mind is in uh, Solo, in uh, Solo, a Star Wars story where they kind of make the dice a thing in Solo, so that way they could be a thing in The Last Jedi. But the dice, like I forgot that they were even in the old movies kind of thing. This was kind of like that, where we're supposed to assume a connection was stronger than what was shown. Because when TNG was originally done, it was so so episodic. They didn't really get into that level. And we're supposed to assume that it happened because of this reunion, I think. Yeah, and you you know, a little fan service now and then is okay. And, you know, even the Solo reference, it's just... Solo and Picard... Even though they're characters from two distinct universes, obviously, they do share a lot of similarities in the fact that they've become attached to certain things. And even though Solo, for example, was very materialistic early on, the older he gets, the more mature he gets, you realize that that, that his interest in stuff was always kind of almost like a front, right? Like at the end of the day, Solo always wanted to do the right thing, you know, he whether it's helping destroy the Death Star, blah, blah, blah. Picard's a good parallel because at the end of the day, and this this parallels what you and I were discussing before we started recording, Picard in episodes 6, 7, and 8, it simply reinforces that he believes that he's trying to do the right thing. 
and that part of the problem with Starfleet in the Picard show is that they've forgotten almost what that right thing is or how to take those actions. And I think that's even referenced even better in the fact that somebody like Commodore O rises to such a high rank and such high power when arguably we haven't really seen her do anything like positive for Starfleet yet, really, right? I mean, she's good with security, I guess, but (laughs) it's not like you would look at her and go, she's the highlight of what it takes to become a Starfleet officer. No, I I think you're right. And I I think even the character of Picard missteps in the impossible box and um, Nepenthe and doesn't get really back on track until broken pieces because my biggest gripe with the impossible box as an episode is how Picard, the character treats Rafi. Oh, dude, I love you because that scene on the bridge, that was not Jean-Luc Picard. You know what I mean? When she's drinking and he's like clapping like an idiot. Well, because what Rafi is clearly a person in need of help. She has substance abuse issues. She has depression issues at a minimum. And I don't think that those things are, uh, are not obvious. I, I don't think that Picard is missing them. I think he's purposefully at best he's purposefully ignoring them and at worst he's purposefully exploiting them and neither one of those paints picard in a positive light no we don't the other characters don't know what she just went through with her son on free cloud but she's clearly intoxicated she's clearly had substance abuse issues even way back when picard first goes to see her in the desert Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. She had substance abuse problems then, and she clearly does now as she is straight up intoxicated on the bridge. And rather than take a moment to try and help her and work through some of this with her, Picard just kind of pushes her to keep using it for his mission. And, you know, it certainly makes it makes more sense as to why Rafi was so aggressive early on, because maybe this is how he has treated her or other people in recent years. And we don't know that because the last we saw him was Nemesis. But since Nemesis, he has become more um, selectively focused, uh, more tunnel vision when it comes to his missions to make sure that they are completed. You know, because there's even that line about how, you know, when he sets, when he has a mission, it's going to be completed. I forget exactly how it's phrased, but this is an example of that. And it just really bothered me that Picard of all people would take advantage or exploit somebody's substance abuse or mental health issues um, in this way. You know, an argument can be made that maybe he you know, was uh, doing a similar thing to Troy and Nemesis, you know, when he wanted her to, 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 you know, use the, the, um, the telekinesis that the Remans were using against her uh, have her experience that to help them. Maybe that, that is equally wrong. Um, 
you know, the only argument that could be made is that, well, at least Troy wasn't having a substance abuse and depression issue at the same time. I'm not sure that that makes it any better, but that there's that. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the fact that, I mean, she's on the bridge, like you said, we're not talking like she showed up to work drunk, which is bad. She is on the bridge conducting essentially a covert mission to convince Starfleet to give her a diplomatic pass actively drinking on the bridge and Picard is clapping. And I can only imagine if imagine Worf being on the bridge of the enterprise, not only drunk, but drinking blood wine right from a bottle while Picard is active. Ca- like you wouldn't, we would never have that image. Would we, it's just not something we would ever conjure up No, Yeah. And yeah, the abuse of whether it's substance abuse or the depression, Rafi's got some stuff going on that is not good. And yeah, that's why I kind of commented. I was like, whoever that was, that was not that was not John Luke Picard. He would not treat somebody like that. But maybe he does now. I don't know. And, you know, I, I feel like when we get to Nepenthe, maybe this gets all reset in a way. I think that helps put him back on the right track. But I'm I'm starting to wonder if maybe you know, you talk about how the the um the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And maybe the Picard that we know isn't Picard alone, and it's Picard on the Enterprise with that crew around him, with Riker and Troy and Worf and Geordi and Data and so on. What if it's them that help make who he is? And once he left that behind, he started to go off that path a little bit. And then when he left Starfleet, even more so, because his moral center seemed to have been shifted a bit. He still wanted to do the the right thing, but he was willing to to make more sacrifices to get there. Yeah, the means were definitely drastically different under this new version of Picard. And like you said, it is that would be a decent writing of a character that. You know, even in real life, I do better with a strong support structure around me, whether it's at work or in the home life or whatever. I naturally do better at just whatever it is I'm doing. And maybe that's showing a weakness of Picard is when he's in a good a good situation, such as Commander Riker, who could be a captain in a minute. Commander Data, who could be a captain in a minute. Jordy LaForge, who could be a captain in a minute. I would argue Dr. Crusher could be captain of a medical ship of some kind or a science ship in a minute. He's surrounded by strong people around him. And I didn't even get to talk about all the other ones. But that's a that's a normal human, I think, is they do better with stronger people around them. And maybe that's trying to show that this Picard is struggling with Raffi, who's kind of got some issues, and Rios, who's kind of supposed to be the rogue solo character. He's got the heart of gold, but he's still kind of roguish. Mm-hmm. Can't really rely on him all the time. Uh, you've got Elnor that's like a child, essentially. Not in the. I'm not talking like age. I mean, how he reacts to the world. Right. So maybe they're showing that Picard's not at his best right now, and that's what they're trying to reflect. I just think they could do it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think that makes perfect sense. And, you know, so okay, so kind of the 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 antithesis or the not the antithesis. Wow. The climax of this episode is, of course, uh, Narek tries to kill Soji. Uh, so we've got this kind of meditation where Soji can walk through her dream that she's been having to discover where she is, to learn more about it. 
And it's truly in this moment where she sees that she was constructed, uh, probably a little more literally than what actually happened. Um, but she learns that she was constructed. She can see the sky outside. She explains to Narek that she can see the moons and the lightning and yada yada. And then he tries to kill her. Now, you mentioned that you wanted to kind of talk about the dream sequence that she was having. So what what was on your mind? Well, so I get what Narek is trying to do. Like now we know, spoiler, 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 is that essentially what the Zat Vaj are trying to do is locate a homeworld of, of the synths. And that's what they're trying to get Soji to remember from her dreams. But... I still haven't exactly figured out. I think I figured out is so Bruce Maddox was on earth making synths, androids, whatever you want to call them. But there was already a planet of synthetic life forms out there. Or were they like people that Bruce Maddox helped escape and they started building more of themselves? I don't think they've discussed that yet. Have they? They just kind of, they, they're kind of keeping that hidden right now, right? Well, I didn't miss something, did I? Well, so I, I think if we include all three episodes that we're talking about here up through Broken Pieces, the most that we know is that Maddox left, and I think he left at a time where he was very, very close to figuring this out, and just a couple of years later pulled it off. Because we learned that Rios's captain uh, died during this special mission where they were supposed to kill these synths. And one of them looked just like Daj and Soji. And so my assumption here is that Maddox figured out how to create these androids just a couple of years after the attack on Mars on this other planet, whatever this planet is. Um, and they're all his creation. But I'm, I'm imagining a, a, a small pool of, of f- physical differences. I think we're going to see a lot of people that look like Soji. We're gonna, and we're going to see a lot of people that look like some male figure uh, that we don't know yet, but was one of the two that Rios was involved with in, in his covert mission when his captain died. And I think that that's kind of what we're going to be seeing in this very next episode. Of course, the, the finale is kind of a two-parter, it seems. So you know, I'm not exactly sure when we'll see that. But that seems to be the case. So I don't think Maddox found androids like this i don't think he brought them with him i think he was very close to figuring out how to do it and when he disappeared figured it out just a couple of of years later okay i think i follow but then and that's the problem no problem that's one of the challenges with picard as a show is it is extremely difficult to discuss one episode at a time when we we see how episode six ties in with episode eight Mm mm-hmm and so we are kind of bouncing across our discussion of episodes just because we can't avoid it. But even when they're discussing Rios' captain about how, you know, he was approached by like two of the synthetics, offering almost like, I don't know, like diplomacy of some kind, like they're reaching out to him. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the Animatrix, the cartoon episodes of The Matrix? It's been a long time, but yes. There is a scene from one of the Animatrix episodes where the city zero one sends two diplomats to meet the humans at the United Nations. And if I remember right, one is like a male robot. One is a female robot, but they're literally trying to greet humans hand in hand. So I thought that was, I don't know if it's connected. It might be a little homage. Interesting. But 
but they definitely felt comfortable enough to reach out to a Starfleet ship at least, right? Well, right, and I think that's interesting. I don't remember that one. I'll have to rewatch them, but uh, I think that's very interesting, and it could be an inspiration for this. I think that Maddox figured it out, and yeah, he wanted his people to thrive. He wanted that life to thrive, but Starfleet had decided on this ban on all synthetics, which we now know was thanks to the Romulans, right? We'll get to to that in Commander O, of course, but um, they just had them all killed. It was a you know like this Black Order, and um, you know it. It's it's kind of crazy to think of the Federation doing things like that. We think of Section Thirty One doing those types of things, you know. But I guess at this point, you know, Section Thirty One type behavior is just normal. Well, that's a good point because you know we've been talking a lot about the Impossible Box, but we're kind of already bleeding into Episode Seven, Nepenthe. 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 Which when I was watching it on streaming i kept i swear they kept saying repente and i was like are they going to the klingon prison planet because that would be that would be amazing if they have like a synthetic robot like a synth there working in the dilithium mines um but it's nepente nepente yes um so yeah so let's let's talk nepente this is of course is the episode that a lot of people have been waiting for because it showed the return of jonathan frakes and marina sirtis as Riker and troy so at the very tail end of the impossible box, Soji is following Picard, even though she doesn't really trust him necessarily, but she knows Narek is trying to kill him, kill her, excuse me. Um, and so they use a, uh, a special device that we have seen before, which is pretty cool. Um, and they are able to jump from planet to planet. And, um, of course I've been talking about this all week and I know exactly what that device is. And I'm, uh, the Sakarian, it's the Sarkarian device. Sakarians, uh, use these trajectors where they could go from planet to planet. There's a TNG episode about it and about how they were basically taken down because, um, other species had discovered this like back door that the the Sakarians had. So the, the Borg now have this technology and only the queen can use it essentially to escape and that does explain a few things as to why the board queen can bounce around but um picard and soji just the two of them use it to go to this planet nepenthe where hugh and uh elnor stay behind on the artifact and so we find that um nepenthe is the home of riker and troy and we get to meet their daughter uh, very early on. And, you know, this is actually kind of interesting because I completely missed the significance of her name in this episode. Did you catch that? Kestra? I caught it, but I don't understand the reference yet. I caught the name. So Kestra is the name of Deanna Troy's sister who died. Oh, okay. And, so that makes sense. Yeah, and I did not catch that. I didn't. I uh, I had no idea. I had forgotten all about that. And I thought that that was a really cool tie-in. Uh, Ray actually pointed it out to me, um, which which is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah. If you want to know what that's from, the TNG episode called Dark Page, if you're curious about how that turns out. But there you go. So. I do like how she greets him dressed up because she's been playing in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so okay so things are things in this episode are a little all over the place there's there's so much to unpack in Nepenthe so we get to meet Riker and Troy and they have this wonderful house they seem to be living this wonderful life on this beautiful planet relatively away from technology they of course have it you know Riker puts up the shields and sensors and things but it's very much a down you know lack of a better term down to earth type of place and we find out that the whole reason they're there is because the planet uh, very much like an insurrection has regenerative regenerative properties and they were hoping it would cure their son who contracted a disease and sadly died as a child which is very sad of course and um what did you think of that as the explanation for why they are on um on this planet no longer in starfleet i was actually fine with the the discussion and you know fine i'm never happy with like a kid dying but with the story plot of the sun passing i was good with it up until they said he could have been easily cured if they had access to synthetic technology i was like there you go it's like you you couldn't have just said he had a really bad flu or something you had to tie it into the overall grand story of because Starfleet's evil and wouldn't let him use synthetic technology or something, which I still don't entirely buy. If Riker, who at this point likely, I don't know, he was commander of the Titan for how long? If his son, I'm, I'm just going to say it, he probably would have had certain privileges that other people in the Federation would not have had. You would think so, but once something's outlawed, I guess it's outlawed completely. Like I, I agree with you that I don't think we need the connection. I don't. I think we can still have the tragedy be there without it being part of the central plot. Um, but if you're going to have it, I do understand that he wouldn't be able to get any special leeway from anybody else. And Riker and Troy probably aren't the ones who would go to the dark, the dark web, so to speak, the underground to try and get it accomplished. I don't know. I mean, he's still friends with Worf, right? I'm sure, I'm sure Worf would. I don't know. We don't really know where Worf is at this point. We don't know anything about well, that's, you know, Worf's story. Yeah. And that's the problem. We kind of need to know where everybody else is because, I mean, let's be real here. Captain Kirk stole a ship. Admiral Kirk stole the Enterprise just to try to help Spock and McCoy. So these Starfleet officers aren't always the most stable sometimes. Well, and this tells us a lot. You know, we, we, we really learned that once Picard left Starfleet, he cut himself off from everyone, seemingly. Because, you know, they, they've, got, they've got a photo of, of, of him in his uniform with Thaddeus, who's the, who's the son. Uh, but that's, that's basically it. And he didn't, under, he didn't understand the details of his death and when that happened and all those types of things. He just knew where they were. And, you know, Riker and Troy even mentioned that, like, if he had asked for help, of course, they would have been there. But he's not trying to get them involved. And it's such a weird mindset to get into that that they wouldn't that he wouldn't have immediately gone to them is is difficult for me to wrap my head around. I mean, I would have thought that they would have been the first people he would have called. You would have thought at least that's what I would that's you know, that's what most of us would have done is called some of our lifelong friends that we've seen some pretty horrific stuff with and even in the next generation show, they survived a lot of challenges together, a lot of triumphs together. And overcame a lot, so 
yeah, you think reaching out to them would have been kind of a common thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I don't know. I I'm a little frustrated. I think that everybody's story has to be so tragic because at this point now, of course, we haven't seen everybody. We don't know Crusher and Jordy and Worf's stories right now. We don't. Hell, we don't even know what happened to Barkley or anybody from any of the other shows. But from what we have here in just this crew, including Seven, everything is so tragic, right? Seven is responsible for for you know putting Icheb out of out of his misery, and that's basically her child. You've got Picard, who is this depressed, washed up, disgraced person who now has to kind of go against some ethical things to complete this mission. And you've got Rios who is, you know, a washed out Starfleet officer who we find out in the next episode feels responsible for his captain committing suicide. You've got Rafi who is a depressed um, a person with substance abuse issues and Girardi, even Girardi who was like the bright spot had to murder Maddox in cold blood essentially because of what commander O showed her. Um, and, and Soji's story is, is incredibly tragic too, right? She's lost her sister already in Dodge and she's lost her entire past and seemingly life finding out that she was made three years ago and her lover, Narek has been manipulating her the entire time and using her. And so like, there's nobody left whose story isn't tragic. And we see, we get to see Riker and Troy, two characters that are beloved, that people have been excited to see that the way the, the shots that we saw were all kind of bright in these beautiful places. So we were thinking things were good. When we talked about this in the past, I suggested that. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, you know what? They're probably not in Starfleet anymore because they decided that they really wanted to have a family and they didn't want to raise a family on a starship. I could get that, right? It's a personal preference, totally respectable. They've given their careers to Starfleet. They can retire and, and be happy. But no, they had to have a tragedy where one of their kids has a special disease that could have been cured without this ban, and it's just sad and tragic again. There's my rant. I couldn't say it any better than you, and it kind of goes in line with one of my complaints that you've heard for years now about even Next Generation and Discovery is that the characters are perfect. They're great at everything. They succeed at everything. You know, there's nothing there's nothing Jordy can't fix and there's nothing Michael can't do or there's no enemy Worf can't beat up except for genetically enhanced humans that were used as soldiers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they're all perfect and ideal at whatever it is they do, right? But Picard, everybody's like... Everybody's so horrifically broken in some capacity that it's just. Okay, so I use TV for like escapism. Like I enjoy, even though I'm a Game of Thrones fan, but it's like I don't need to be depressed when I'm watching TV, too. Just like, can somebody have like a good news story at some point? 
Well, I think that's it. It's, it's the all or nothing mentality here of everybody's story is tragic. I mean, even Hugh's story, where which seemed like it was a story of redemption, where this man had been assimilated and had regained his independence and this individuality and was using his life to free others. Like, that's a real like winning story and that's just beautiful and then they kill him off in this episode and i i mean i I really saw it coming when he was left behind with just narek but they kill him off and it's kind of unceremoniously and it's depressing and again tragic it's a tragic end that even in broken pieces turns out to almost be for nothing because all of the xbs are killed which, again, I, I want to talk about that when we get there. Because, yeah, it's just... Something is eventually going to have to go right. And Nepenthe... I, I like what they did with Riker and Troy. Having him have family and their little daughter. Who I was really messed up with her age. Because she physically looks older than I think they're trying to say she is. Mm. Um, but it's just hard, you know, it's hard to tell with people these days. Um, but, yeah, even... Because this episode is another example of... They jump from bright, shiny, Nepenthe planet with Riker, Troy, Picard, Soji, and company, and Kestra, to dreary, depressing, board cue, murder, murder, murder. And it's like, it's kind of jarring sometimes to do that. It is. It is jarring. And it, it just was even that much more of a gut punch when you learn that the whole reason Riker and Troy are there is to save their kid, and it didn't even work. And now they're just on this planet, they're out of Starfleet, and... You know, basically Picard leaves knowing that he can't bring them into this because he can't risk their other child. And that, like, don't get me wrong, I agree with the decision, but it's just so sad. And I'm, it's not that everything needs to have a happy ending. I would just like somebody to just have not a tragic story. Well, and the issue with them, including Riker and Troy, the way they did, is this is already after... Picard has had a lot of tense dealings with Starfleet and Starfleet knows he's kind of out doing his own thing. And what universe would they not be monitoring Picard or Troy, uh, Troy and Riker? Well, I don't even know that we need to worry about that because he straight up told them what his plan was. Right. I yeah. mean, they know <laughs> what his entire mission was going to be. Um, and I, I think that that that's probably part of it is that they probably are watching him. But it's kind of irrelevant because he told them the, the entire mission and everything that he was going to do, you know, sheer fucking hubris. Because it's, it's, it's Clancy again. Like she comes back in the next episode, Broken Pieces. So it's the same admiral there you know, who's still taking his calls. I mean, come on, man. She's still taking his calls after the way that he treated <laughs> her in that office. She's still taking his calls. And that says something about who she is. And, we'll, you know, I mean. I don't know that there's a whole lot more to say on Nepenthe, except that this, I think, is where Picard's brain gets reset. I think being with Riker and Troy, speaking with his counselor again, with Riker, who is as close to a brother as I think Picard ever really had, um, they get his head on straight, right? And explain to him who he needs to be for Soji. And we get a slightly different Picard from that point forward. He's softer. He's more measured. He's less volatile. He's more focused on 
on the 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 ethical aspects of it, the personal aspects of it, and not just seeing it as a mission anymore. Because at the end of the day, yes, he wanted to save this person, but there's so much more to it than that. Because you talk about like why should she trust him? And he needs to present himself in a trustworthy way. Why why should she trust him? He's got to give her a reason to. Well, yeah, and I mean in in the episode ends on another downer with Gerardi who essentially you know, at first I thought it was going to be a legitimate suicide attempt, but then, you know, then I realized, oh, she's just trying to disable that tracker. Mm-hmm. Um and okay, that sounds horrible. I wasn't hoping for the character to commit suicide. But I was hope you know, I think it would have been interesting if she gets overcome with guilt over Maddox. And I think maybe that played into it a little bit, but really she figured out that they were tracking them. And so she used some kind of toxin to disable the tracker, I guess. Yes. I don't know how it disabled it. We, and then, you know, that's one of the Star Trek things. We don't need to know how it disabled the tracker. It just does. Well, I, I think they explained it well enough. I think because it's all sci-fi stuff. So she... She ingested a chemical that would break down this other chemical that was r- basically leaving a radioactive trace for them. That that ca- we learned Commodore O gave her. That's what she ate. Yeah, no, she don't eat rocks given to you by half Romulan, half Vulcans. I mean, that's the, the moral of the story. I've been saying that for years. I mean, <laughs> look, I listen to you, man. <laughs> Um, but I, I think that's an interesting moment as well. Cause she does, she, she's, she could have died. And I think she knew that. I think when she did it, she made a decision that could have ended her life. She knew she needed to take that risk to save these people. And it's a little funny because at the end of the day, it turns out to not matter anyway, since the last shot in broken pieces seemingly shows Narek follow them through the vortex. Um, but, but all for not. But, um, you know, it is a good moment for her and it's still very sad. And this move, I guess this will move us into broken pieces because there's still no coming back for her that I can see. Um, she still has to answer for her crimes. She still murdered somebody in cold blood. And I don't know how you come back from that. It's not like she could be a regular next season and just be okay. I mean, she murdered somebody and, Maybe she they find some way to keep her on this planet with the androids because she's the only one who really knows how to care for them in some way. But at the end of the day, she did something terrible and she's trying to make amends for that now. And some of the best parts of Broken Pieces, I think, are between her and Soji when they're interacting with each other and she's trying to see all of what Soji is. And um, Allison Pill is just a phenomenal actor throughout the show, throughout the show as a whole, but particularly in this episode, the emotion that she pulls through is just, just stellar. I think that it's almost sad that her character has to go through this because it likely means we won't be seeing her after this season. Well, if she actually pays the consequences for her crime, we should definitely not be seeing her next season. Um, given the fact that, you know, the students of you know, uh, what was what was the the squadron that Wesley Crusher was part of with Le- Nicholas Locarno? Oh, jeez, uh, I, I don't remember. I, ke- I keep wanting to call I keep wanting to call it Red Squad, but that was Deep Deep Space Nine. That's the wrong thing. But whatever is they performed a maneuver that accidentally killed somebody, and it still messed up their careers. 
this woman legitimately tortured and killed somebody <laughs> on a medical bed. So she should pay for that crime. But the other crime that this episode needs to pay for first is, I'm sorry. I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Derek. I'm going to be that guy. Oh boy. Is the absolutely dreadful opening of whatever, seven or nine Zatvaj mistresses watching some sort of vision of synths destroying the galaxy. Okay. Is this the Reapers from Mass Effect? Because that's actually something in the game, Mass Effect, where there's a vision of the Reapers destroying the galaxy and it messes with people's heads. Okay, so you're talking about sorry, okay, so you're talking about the the planet. The uh the grief planet. Right? We're all Well, yeah. Okay. They're all you know, the the Council of Elrond or whatever the hell they are. <laughs> The Zatvaj. <laughs> They're all witnessing this, and like half of them kill themselves mm-hmm. because it's so horrific. Oh, it's almost all of them. Only, only I mean, two that... of them survive. Yeah, and the and the one that the other one that the the red haired uh, crap Ramda, um, she survives, but like barely. Mm-hmm. But it's like that's that's like okay, that's a sci fi trope from like many games. The vision of synths destroying the galaxy, and I'm like. Oh, man. Like, I thought they were just messing with us early on in the Picard show, but now it's like a thing that the Zatvaj truly believe there's a memory of synths destroying the galaxy. Well, so, I mean, what happened here is, God, there's so many things to talk about with this. It's kind of hard to break it down. But so we, we, we have full confirmation now that Commander O is actually half Romulan and she is has infiltrated Starfleet basically for this entire purpose she helped orchestrate the synth attack on mars on purpose to hope that federation would the federation would ban synths um but to picard's point in this episode that that was still the federation and starfleet's choice they didn't have to make that choice to 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 buy into the fear which is what touches in today's world about not acting on your fear still trying to do the right thing in spite of the bad and that, I mean, that's like the most Star Trek message ever, right? Is you should continue to push through and try and do the right thing, even when there are bad people doing bad things. And, um, you know, in, in the modern world, what's happening right now all over the world, uh, this is that time, right? It's to t- still try and be a good person and help people and do the right thing, even when there are people who won't do that. But that aside for a moment, when we focus on this, we learn that, yeah, the, the, so the Zadvash, the existence of the Zadvash is kind of strange. I'm not sure I've really bought into it. But yeah, they have this planet, this grief planet, where they see this vision. And okay, so thousands of years ago, this happened, and an entire species was wiped out. Okay, well, we know that that's happened a lot of times in Star Trek. We've found lots of species that don't exist anymore that may have had these incredibly advanced societies. But for the Romulans to buy into that fear and create a subgroup called the Zatvash to take down synthetic life, I mean, that in itself is kind of hard to wrap your head around. And then you learn that they were just okay with data the whole time. Because they had multiple opportunities to take out data, and data only, only dies because he sacrifices himself for Picard. It's not even about data. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I would, like, I would even argue that 
Sila has shown an extensive interest in Data because of his relationship with Tasha Yar. Right? Like, it's still never about the fact that he's a he's a synthetic. And so Data and Lore and B4, they were, were all just around, and the Romulans were cool with it. They didn't do anything to stop it. And then on the flip side of that, I'm not sure that I understand why android synthetic life is bad but holographic synthetic life is not because if if voyager showed us anything if picard has shown us anything it's that holographic life is just as significant and even maybe more powerful well yeah i mean considering if they have access to any kind of hollow imaging they can disappear and reappear at will but you bring up some very good points that again and this is why when, you know, I'm not trying to speak for Derek, but when Derek and I have commented on canon about why canon is important, because it builds up a story and stories need to have climaxes. And if the Romulans are this problematic when it comes to synthetic, what was it, Next Generation Season 1 or 2, where both the Federation and the Romulans were losing outposts on the edge of the neutral zone, and then they figured out it was the Borg later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. But the Romulans didn't think synthetics. They just immediately said, oh, it's the Federation. They're screwing with us again. But even when they find out it's the Borg, the Romulans don't seem to care. And even in Best of Both Worlds, when uh, Admiral Farrell's talking to the the crew, and he's like, oh, the Klingons are sending ships, and hell, we're even thinking about opening up communication with the Romulans. You think the Romulans would have been the first on board with that? To be like, yeah, we're going to kill these Borg before they destroy the universe, but... It never happens. Well, because it, it just seems like this definition of synthetic life is very, very specific. You know, because, okay, fine. You don't want to include the Borg because they're technically cyborgs, right? Because there's still biology to them. They require their biological components, right? Um, so, yeah. okay, fine. Exclude the Borg. But there are other synthetic life forms out there. We've come across them in Star Trek and – since Voyager, holograms are hugely successful and are used heavily in Starfleet after the synthetic band. I guess I don't understand what makes a hologram different, especially once they have mobile emitters. Why wouldn't they have mobile emitter technology at this point? Well, yeah, and I, I can't answer that other than to agree with you. But it just it brings up the discussion of... So... The Zatvaj's whole existence is apparently based on this memory, but nobody else knows it exists. Like, there's no other knowledge that we know of that the Federation or the Klingons or the Cardassians or any of the other major powers that have ever found that there was a species that used to exist that was wiped out by synthetics. You think that would be horrific galaxy-spanning knowledge, right? You would assume? You would think so, and you would also think that because of how obvious it was, these eight stars together and how rare that is, that somebody else would have found it as well, if not Starfleet, but somebody. Um, Unless we find out that it's just somehow deep within Romulan space, and that's just convenient. But, um, you know, the idea, like, we keep coming up with these these ancient societies, you know, and, okay, so everybody has their own Section 31, fine, whatever. Um, but now you're adding another group to that that has literally one singular mission. It just doesn't – I don't know. I'm just not sure that that really works out particularly well in this case. And I'd want to know how they even found out about these people. 
you know, like, do you think they would have just followed Maddox? Why, why not just kill Maddox 20 years ago? That seems like the easy thing to do would just be to kill Maddox and then move on. Well, and not only that, the subsect of the Tal Shiar, imagine how much everybody would giggle in the back of their brain or just out loud. If this wasn't the Tal Shiar, if this was Section 31 and they're like, oh, there's also a Section 15 and a half. And they really hate, you know, changelings because of the Dominion War. Everybody, every Star Trek person out there would be like, well, we kind of get that because we fought a war with them, but they lost and we won and we haven't dealt with them ever again. And Odo's a changeling and we like Odo. And he said he was going back to the changing planet to talk to them about the benefits of solids. So wait a second. Why are you a thing? Every Star Trek fan would be saying that if this was Section 31. But since it's the Tal Shiar and the Zod Vaj, we're kind of like, okay, it's kind of mysterious. It's kind of neat. But then, yeah, it's just like, it, you know, it's okay to be a Star Trek fan and love Star Trek and to say, sometimes this story's not making sense. <laughs> right? No, I'm with you. And it, go, it does go back to a complaint that I had earlier about how really the last two major stories that we've had in Star Trek have been these very doomsday -y stories, right? You had no I'm not gonna really dive into spoilers for Discovery here, but in season two you have control, which is the big bad that could end all life in the galaxy. And now you've got in Picard, the destroyer who's going to kill everybody. And you know I I don't want continuously the story to be universe destruction. I want. I don't think that that's realistic. I don't think that that's particularly interesting on a regular basis, and I think that there's more creative stories to be had. I mean, the story in season one of Discovery was far more complex and intricate than everybody everywhere is going to die. You know, I just those are harder things to buy into. So when you keep doing them, they start to lose their punches, and. It's one thing to have a throwaway line about how, well, you know, you guys saved the galaxy a bunch of times. And that's a cute line, mainly because it's not like specifically true. Like other than first contact, I don't they didn't save the galaxy multiple times. You know, they save people. They save groups of people. They save thousands, maybe even millions of people. Right. But there were still going to be people. Do you remember the. There's a movie out there. You might have seen it, Derek. I'm, I'm going to guess that you have. <laughs> uh, I believe it came out in 86. It was called Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Ah, yes. The one remember with the, the story whales. about the one with, Remember the story about the whales? We're never going to get anything like that again at Star Trek, are we? It's always going to be some sort of universe-destroying monster blue beam. And you know what? Maybe, I'm going to say it, maybe that's an impact of the Marvel movies... Not entirely, but a little bit where people have come to expect that we have to have the big ultra baddie all the time now, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think part of it's scope. You know, as, as modern entertainment has continued, the scope just continues to get larger and larger. You know, you think about the shows and the movies that were these massive hits when we were kids. Yeah, there were large scope things like Independence Day. But then you also had like Home Alone, which literally impacts one kid in one family. Right. Um, and TV shows were, were similar ways where just the, the scale of destruction, the scope of destruction was just a lot smaller. And maybe that's just the nature of entertainment, but I don't think it's a good thing. 
I think it's kind of a bummer. And so I hope that maybe season two of this can kind of dial things back a bit and come back to more of character focused storytelling. Yeah. Or give us a villain like Lord of the Rings on, on screen. I thought they did this perfectly is, I mean, they made Sauron and the one ring a villain without really showing him doing anything. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just, the imagery, the music, the sound, and such. But with this, right now, they're kind of reminding us every episode, the Destroyer, Synthetics, Destroy All Life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't necessarily need that for a villain to be effective. You know, Khan wasn't a great villain in Wrath of Khan because he had the Genesis device. He was a great villain because of his abject hatred for Kirk and what Kirk, Kirk stood for. That made him a good villain. Regardless if he had the Genesis device or not, he was still going to chase down Kirk, right? Right. Absolutely. And that made him a good villain versus this. It's just not everything has to be the universe destroying synthetic AI. And I'm hopeful that it's going to turn out that the Zod Vaj were manipulated this entire time by like the Tal Shiar just to find him and root him out or something. It's like, oh, no, we found the synthetics and they like baseball and they want to play Stratego or something. It's like. Not every synth has to be evil. And it's like you said, Data, Lore was, yeah, Lore had problems. But Data, Emergency Medical Hologram, the Rios holograms on their ship, that's all technology replicating sentience, doing relatively good things, right? Absolutely. And I do want to touch on the Rios and his EM, his uh, his holograms because Santiago Cabrera just freaking brings it in this episode broken pieces because he plays like what is it it's like five or six different versions of himself in this episode and they're all different they all have varying personalities and different even accents and he is so good the scene where rafi is talking to all of the holographic versions of him is so much fun and just pulled off incredibly well that cabrera is just killing it in this show and i really hope i just want to see so much more from him yeah he's actually my favorite part of the show right now is again it's kind of like how uh, anson mount as christopher pike stole the show from everybody else on accident santiago cabrera is kind of doing that as well right now mm -hmm. yeah i'm with you um and then really the only other thing that happens in this episode is a small bait and switch, which kind of just made me chuckle. Uh, so Picard has his, his call with Admiral Clancy again. And um, <laughs> it's great. It's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, she says, uh, Admiral, Admiral Picard, with all due respect and at long last, shut the fuck up. And it's such a good line. And I love <laughs> yeah. that so much that he just won't, sh he, he won't shut up and she's already agreed and he won't shut up. But the bait and switch comes when she says that like ships are coming, they're going to meet him and we're going to get some Starfleet ships. We're going to see some starships from the modern era. This is going to be so freaking cool. And then they go another direction off by themselves again. I was like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> oh, I know it was. You know, I was super excited to see the Excelsior class again. <laughs> <laughs> you think they're still in service? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn, damn right. That, that thing's going to be in service for like 300 years. They're just going to keep upgrading the damn thing. But seriously, like there was such an opportunity to see some new starships. And 
like we haven't seen any there are no starships in this freaking show and i just wanted to see some and they're not gonna show up well yeah and that's the thing is it's fun to be teased but there's got to be a happy medium between what picard's doing with starships and what the discovery season two finale did which is basically just how many starships can we fit on screen we're gonna rise the skywalker this and just throw every ship we can at you and then you're you're like, oh, okay. But then your brain's like, wait a second, that's like eighty five thousand ships. This is is this is just everything's lost now. But yeah, it would be fun to see, you know, a, a I don't know, an Akira class battle cruiser or something. We've only ever seen that on screen like twice, right? Well, sure, you give me four or Get- five ships. You know, you can bring a new one, a couple new ones in there. You can show some updated, like this is the new Defiant, you know, class or whatever. Um, I think there would have been some cool opportunities. You could have even had some fun Easter eggs where you've got a new class of ship that's named after somebody somewhere that we have heard about before, you know, but we don't, we don't get any of that yet, which is a bit of a, a bit of a letdown. Um, well, and it, and if they really wanted to do the fan service thing, which, you know, there's probably some writer in the writer's room wanting to do this is they slipped the line in the Pente where Riker said he's still on like active reserve. Is that they could have had the task force show up and Riker's back in his uniform. You know someone somewhere was suggesting that, right? That that discussion definitely happened. Yeah, it is sad to think that any any real opportunity of seeing a Titan TV show is kind of done at this point. But man, would I have loved to see that. I think it would have been so cool to have Troy and Riker in uniform on their own ship. I think it would have been great. But, you know, I, we're just past that. Sadly, maybe there's a short treks out there for it somewhere at some point. Hey, CBS, this is your chance to get Esri Dax in the captain's chair. Hell yes. Hell yes. We, uh, yeah, I would love to see, see something like that. See these, the younger characters who now would be captains and admirals and things of that nature. Yeah. Show me, show me captain LaForge and captain Esri Dax and ensign Harry Kim. And, um, <laughs> Well, and, you know, sadly, Aaron Eisenberg passed away, yes. unfortunately. It was a terrible loss. But given Nog's drive, hell, he would have been a commander or a captain by now, too. The first captain, the first Ferengi captain in Starfleet. That would be amazing. And you know he would have been all over that, too, if they asked him. Well, and that was the uh, the pitch season eight of DS9 they show in the documentary, uh, What We Left Behind, which if you have not seen out there, everyone should go and check that check that out. Uh, but they did. They made him a captain in it. It was pretty cool. Um I guess we didn't talk about Seven much. Seven does show back up here in Broken Pieces, and she and Elnor um, steal the board cube, essentially. She becomes a mini queen for a mini hive, uh, which is pretty badass, and it's really good to see her you know, back in the show. Um, I was... I, I, but I like how she just appears again. Well, because he, he, <laughs> used the little, he used the little collar thing. The little signal yeah, thing that they, she but, gave him, you know? So that was a nice little little thing. But I thought one of the reasons they had to go get, like, a diplomatic pass or something to the ship was it wasn't easy just to randomly board it. Well, but she's 7 of 9. Come on, man. Okay, okay. First off, she's a ranger, so she couldn't care less about rules, regulations, and treaty. Right? <laughs> is that, wait, is that how this works? She, Damn it. she, doesn't, she doesn't care about the treaty. Come on. And then on top of that, she's Borg. She knows, So she would, of course, be able to infiltrate a Borg cube without anybody noticing. I, that That's one of the more believable things, in my opinion. <laughs> By the way, there's another movie you might remember. Um, Man, it, it came out after Star Trek Generations. I, I, I want to say it was Star Trek First Contact. <laughs> and I distinctly remember in that movie... 
that there's Borg walking around outside the Enterprise on the deflector dish, right? Yeah, sure. That happened. Mm-hmm. That was a thing. Right. So why did the Borg in this episode get killed when they're sucked into space? I really – I have questions, Derek. <laughs> well, I think – so some of it was the XBs getting sucked into space, and I think they would require oxygen just like their normal species would. Um, so that's why they all died. I think the Borg who had not been um, liberated yet, they're just kind of become useless when they're floating through space. Right. Okay, so they're not dead. They could be recovered with a tractor beam. Right, right but they're just floating around. We've seen that. We've seen that. <laughs> you know, because I just I don't think they couldn't do anything, right? Because it's not like they have like little jet packs or anything like that. So they're just floating around, unable to manipulate anything. I think is the real issue. Oh, they'll adapt. They're Borg. They are Borg. They are Borg. But you know, Seven's got a whole Borg cube now with with Elnor, and they're I, I don't know what they're going to do with it, but. We leave our main crew now kind of sort of together again um, on their way to this android homeworld. Well, and that's the problem is I'm, I'm going to say it here is the buildup right now, at least with a two-parter episode finale, because like you just said, they've separated the main crew now and you've got Picard uh, and the La Serena crew. You've got Seven of Nine and the Borg Cube. And all the Romulan ships are heading off to the to the synthetic homeworld, whatever we want to call it, zero one. Well, and, it's called. Well, we can't call it zero one. We've already had no, the, yeah. the planet's actually <laughs> called Cope, uh, Copelius. Excuse me, Copelius. Copelius. Oh, by the way, really quick on that is Rafi keeps saying it was eight suns. Yeah, I know that's for people out there, but if you if you graduated high school, the sun is what we called our star. <laughs> Every other star out there is not called the sun. It's just, they have their own names, just FYI. Um, but you know that Seven's going to show up in the climactic battle in the season finale in the Borg Cube, right? We all have accepted that. I would imagine. Which would be pretty awesome, actually, to see a Borg Cube actually helping the Federation for a change instead of screwing us every every tam, damn time they can get a chance. <laughs> well, and what's interesting is it is a, a, a seemingly two-part finale, um, you know, we've got part episodes nine and 10 are parts one and two of et in Arcadia ego, which, um, you know, I'm sure has some significance for whatever those plots are going to be. I don't necessarily know myself, but you know, if you Google it, it's a painting. So oh, what, what is it a painting of? It depicts a pastoral scene with idolized shepherds from classical antiquity gathered around an austere tomb. So it's not a space battle. (laughs) It is not. It is not. (laughs) Turns out, turns out it's something Picasso painted when he was like 18. No, no, this is, he he predicted Star Trek a hundred years ago. (laughs) No, this was painted in approximately 1637. So, yeah, so I don't really know what its significance would be yet. I'm sure we'll find that out. Um, you know, the, so the, ooh, okay, so this is interesting. So the translation of the phrase is, quote, even in Arcadia, there I am. Uh, let's see. The, interp- the usual interpretation, this is from Wikipedia, is that the I refers to death and Arcadia refers to utopian land. 
So there you go. I imagine the Arcadia is our Android homeworld and all of us dying there. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, and, you know, I know I can be hard on modern Star Trek, but I will give them credit for this is the writers are in a very difficult spot right now because if they end the season with some sort of climactic battle with the synths, everybody's going to compare it to Star Trek Discovery Season 2, the battle against Control. Right. But if they don't end with a battle and it ends with, you know, Picard snapping the neck of a robotic queen or something, like First Contact, uh, then people are going to be like, well, where's the battle? So, because I, you know, I love Star Trek. I've always loved Star Trek. I can admit what I didn't love about Star Trek was like the space battles of Deep Space Nine were fun, but that's not why I enjoyed Deep Space Nine, right? Star Trek hasn't necessarily been known for its space battles, so it's... But the mass media, what do they love? They love space battles. Yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. No, I'm definitely with you there. I, I honestly don't expect there to be a massive battle, because I, I don't expect the sense to get all wiped out. I really don't. I expect there to be something that's going to come to fruition that we're unaware of, and Narek's going to change sides and go against his sister. Narek will probably... Narek's either going to kill his sister or get killed by his sister. That's what I expect. Trying to save Soji. Well, yeah, hopefully Nerissa's trying to kill Soji and he, like, steps in front of the phaser or something. Right, I expect something like um, that to happen. That would be more meaningful than, oh, look, he was evil the whole time. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Anyways, yes. we're not hating on Picard, everybody. We're just pointing out some things that sometimes conflict with what we would prefer it's okay to criticize something you love. I know people get very sensitive of their Star Trek. I get very sensitive when everybody shits on Search for Spock, which I still think is an amazing movie. I like Search for Spock. I, the, the the young Spock having sex with Sarek's a little weird, but, you know, otherwise. <laughs> well, I pretend that that's just, like, non-canon, even though we know it happened. Uh, but, like, everybody makes fun of Christopher Lloyd. I thought he was a great Klingon. Oh, he was fine. He's wonderful. He's a wonderful Klingon. Yeah. Yeah. So I get it. I'm sensitive to things I love, you know. Yeah, I understand. But, you know, look, we're, we're eight episodes in. We're getting to the climax of the, fran of the season here. We've got the crews coming together. Storylines are, are merging and colliding. Worlds are colliding. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot of interesting stuff happen in these last approximately two hours of the season. Yeah, the next two episodes, we're going to have a, uh, a task force of Federation ships. You're going to have synthetic ships, Romulan ships, and a Borg cube. And somehow Section 847, or Section, Species 8472 is going to show up. <laughs> oh, man, who had that in the pool? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, if that actually happens, wow. Like, all right, you all heard it here first. Right? Species 8472 saves the day. They're like, no, we love synthetics now. <laughs> All right, well... All right, well, we, we've discussed a lot of Star Trek in this past uh, hour and 15 minutes, so, Derek, anything, any final closing comments before we finish up? All I've got to say is I really want everyone to come out and talk to us about Star Trek in our new Facebook group. So, again, facebook.com slash groups slash redshirts and runabouts. We're talking about everything Star Trek, not just Picard, not just Discovery. We'll have polls. You can post your own stuff. Come talk to us. We would love to interact with you out there couldn't have said it any better myself 
you can just go into the Facebook main page and just search Red Shirts and Runabouts. You'll find our fa- you'll find our Facebook group. It's a good environment, easy going. We laugh, we joke a lot, we keep it friendly too. So absolutely, and the link is in the show notes for this, and we've been tweeting it as well. So at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter, all that good stuff. But since we're getting ready to wrap up, Derek, if people want to talk to you directly, how could they do so? I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter and Facebook. So come talk to me out there. I talk Star Trek. Of course, I also host screen heroes, the film and TV podcasts here on the heroes podcast network. And I am a gamer. So come talk to me about any of that kind of fun stuff. And you can find me on Twitter at the underscore bitter steel. I also hang out in the red shirts forum a lot on Facebook and pretty much um, trying to talk to Derek about maybe joining his gaming podcast as well, because I'm also a gamer myself. More so on the strategy game side. So if there's any of you Paradox Interactive fans, come tweet at me on on Twitter, as opposed to tweeting to me at you know on Facebook, and we'll get a game going of Stellaris. There's a new expansion pack coming out on Tuesday, and I'm excited. There you go. All right. Well, as usual, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. You can stream us directly at heroespodcasts.com, or you can get ad-free versions of this episode on our Patreon, patreon.com slash heroespodcasts. I'm Derek. This was Greg. We're Red Shirts and Runabouts on the Heroes Podcast Network. Talk to you all soon. 